0: advice that you've gotten, ask yourself, am I honoring that advice? Because if you're not honoring that advice, I am almost certain that you're probably in a space where you're unfulfilled and it comes from you not honoring that advice that was given
1: you are now listening to Via Crayons, the podcast. Extraordinary conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Donald McNichol. Enjoy. This podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. Please review and rate the show by going to podchaser.com/slash-wearecrayons-the-podcast. You can help support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com/slash-wearecrayons. And welcome to another episode of We Are Crayons, the podcast. I have the pleasure of speaking with a dynamic and I would say driven young lady by the name of Shelly and Gadgeta. Shelly Ann, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, Dano. Thank you so much for having me. And hello, podcast world. Hello, audience. Thank you so much for holding space with me today.
1: You're most welcome. And I'm pretty excited about the conversation only because... Of the list of things you have accomplished. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I will definitely get into that. I like to start, though, mm-hmm. by finding out what was your childhood like because yes. for me, I think that's where everything starts. Yeah. Whether good or bad, it lays the foundation. So I'm pretty interested in finding out about that so if you can share that with us
0: yeah absolutely and just to mention that that laugh that I gave when you said you know the list of things I, I've done that really is a nervous laugh right <laughs> <laughs> because I know that there is a lot to talk about in terms of mm-hmm. the profile but my childhood what can I say I grew up in Carnage in Trinidad that's on the west side I came from an only child background, so no brothers or sisters. And up to the age of 14, I grew up in a single-parent household. So it was just my mom and I. And I would say that my childhood was one that was dynamic in the sense that my mom really ensured that the interactions that I lacked from not having a brother or a sister, was supplemented with extracurricular activities. And she was a woman that really dedicated her life to me, to raising me. So I had a very good role model of a mother as well as a father being played through her. I remember as a child and my mom, she would get me ready for school. She would fix my ribbon in my hair and she would look at me in my eyes and she would say to me, you can be your own little individual. And I just felt in that moment when she used to say that to me every morning, I felt like I could just take on the world. She always created this type of scenario where it felt like the world was my oyster and the world was truly mine. It was for me to explore and to do really create whatever I wanted to create in this beautiful world. And I had that intellectual freedom to explore and to create, which I know that many people don't have. But I think because my mom was a single mother, she knew the importance of independence at a young age and she also knew the the importance of letting me work on my strengths you know what whatever I did really good at that's what she wanted me to excel in because truly as a single mother that's what she did she provided based on her strengths and she raised me like that as well so very grateful to have that childhood.
1: That's powerful. And what was uh, your time in school like and yeah. what led you down to the path of wanting to take on law yes. and, and all of that stuff?
0: Well, I'll first say that my mom was an avid watcher of criminal law and law shows. So I think it was law and order. <laughs> at that time, she loved <laughs> law and order. And there right. I was sitting on her lap just looking at law and order. And from a very young age, I was extremely communicative, uh, just a natural communicator, very inquisitive. I would ask questions, an extroverted child in a sense. And it's because my mom really did foster that inside of me. So from a young age, I always questioned things and I guess when it got to me going into school, I, I really looked at school as my playground. It was my opportunity to get into mischief, to push boundaries, to do the things that I wasn't doing at home because I did not have brothers or sisters. So this was my opportunity to roam
1: right. <laughs> and, to, and to
0: really start to you know flex my muscles in terms of the things that I was learning at home. So I would say during my school years, I always excelled because I was intellectually curious most times, but that also was characterized by getting in mischief, maybe far too often. So there was a little (laughs) bit of discipline issue that I had. And I would say that I really had discipline issues, uh, particularly in high school, because of the fact that when you have that level of autonomy and that level of confidence, it has to also simmer down as well and have discretion when in a community setting like school. And I guess I was learning it the hard way because I wasn't really at home. It was this very interesting space of being intellectually sharp, but also challenged from a group setting perspective. I'm trying to figure out how do you color within the lines and how do you also color outside the lines, but still keep friends, still make friends. So I would say that high school is when I really started to learn discretion because no longer my mom's kind of free reign of what she said of being my own individual was working. And I had to know how to, as a crayon, how to fit within a box and coexist with other crayons. And I was learning that. Yeah, (laughs) I was learning that in high school.
1: So tell me then, what does creativity mean to you? and, And how does it play a role in your life and in the things that you do?
0: So for me, I think that creativity truly is freedom. I see creativity as fluidity. I see it as something that is not to be understood, but simply to be experienced. I think when we try to make our creativeness a subject of discussion or a, a subject that is supposed to be accepted, we limit ourselves, we limit the expression of it. And for me, I have always felt most creative when I am free. And when I say free, I mean free from judgments, free from expectations, free from intellectual rigor. I just want to have that very open space to allow myself to wander. So creativity is that little bit of you being brave within your own freedom. My exploration of freedom, it really came around the time when I decided that I no longer wanted to be an attorney. I spent seven years building a career as an attorney. Some tragic events happened and it really was the catalyst for me leaving the profession entirely. And in that moment at the age of 27 is when I realized that I had a very clean canvas and it was time for me to paint. It was time for me to become a Picasso. in that space, I removed the expectations and allowed myself to be as free as the white canvas. Allow my life to be that free. And whatever colors came up, whatever opportunities I pursued. I allowed myself to experience it. And I didn't. I wasn't hard on myself because I think creativity, sometimes we think creativity should look a particular way and we stifle it. So for me, I wanted to have zero restrictions and limitations for what life was trying to create for me.
1: I got you. So can we just explore a little bit? Firstly, apart from being influenced by law and order, seeing that yes. on television. <laughs> yes. Obviously, the road to the bar isn't straight, straight and narrow, nor is it easy, I'm assuming. <laughs>
0: no, it isn't. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah? <laughs> so I want to get a sense of that experience and then
0: yes.
1: coming from that, deciding to step away. And I'm, I'm yes. sure it, that as well wasn't as straight yeah. and narrow.
0: Exactly. I guess, you know what, when it comes to the, the law pursuits, it really was me leaning into my strengths. Uh, and those those strengths were my strength for communication, my strengths in research, and my ability to deal with large volumes of information. You know, I was always very good at reading and condensing information. So my pursuit into law was really me wanting to use these top three skills that I had in my toolbox and enjoy it because I enjoy these three skills and I wanted to go into a profession that would allow me to enjoy it. So it wasn't easy at all. Law school is not easy. And shout out to whoever is listening that is in law school at the moment. It is not an easy route, but I can definitely say that my recognition of my strengths is what made it easy. Because if you are in a journey like that and you don't know what are your strengths, it's going to be even harder for you. So I worked with my strengths. So because I knew that I was good at communication, I was able to really write good essays. I knew that I was good at research. I was able to work on my research and get things done quickly. It was me using my strengths in a way to maneuver the challenges that people generally have with law. And the areas where I had weaknesses, uh, which would be things like group work or things like sometimes the management of time, I leaned on other people because I recognized in that journey that I could not do it alone, and it's not enough to know your strengths. You have to know your weaknesses as well. You have to start to have like a plan A and a plan B for the in the event that you know one of your strengths isn't up to par on that day. So it was me really working through that, and I would say that when it came to me, then five years later, recognizing that I was ready to leave the profession. Yes, I had a clean canvas, but one of the things I would say, you know, particularly for anybody that is in this career transitioning stage, or you're thinking to leave your profession and start something new, you know, you're on this cusp of doing something beautiful and creating something of your own. I would say to never go to this point of reinventing the wheel. And that was the thing that saved me. It was that concept of not reinventing the wheel is what really helped me leverage into my success and springboard into it. And when I say that, I mean that the same three skills that carried me through law are the same three skills that have been showing up for me even now. You know, and when I left law, it was me saying to myself, I don't want to erase the past. The past has served me. You know, I have been able to really build a reputation for myself in these areas, and I want to use it. However, I want to change the context in which I use it. And that was the creativity of the career transition. It wasn't me trying to say, I'm somebody new. It was me saying that I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I want to re-engineer it.
1: And you touched on something there that I do find interesting as well. And that is the self-realization of your strengths and your yes. weaknesses. How were you able to identify those things Mm -hmm. Or was it that it was pointed out to you and then you took stock and said, okay, yeah, maybe that is my thing, my superpower. Tell me about that.
0: I would say that it's both because we live in a world where if you say, I do this really good or I'm super good at this. You sound like you're boasting or you sound like you're a narcissist, right? So or you're sounding you sound like you're an overachiever. So we always need this kind of buffer or this validation from the outside world to give us confirmation that indeed you are good at what you do. So for me, my own belief system said to me that I am good at these things because I see the good work and the good results of it, but I also deeply enjoy it. If I wasn't good at it, I think there would be a kind of tension and and reluctance to engage with some of these things because you're truly not doing it from a soul space. You're more doing it from a doing because I'm good at it, I do it. But you see the difference in somebody that does something that they're just good at and somebody who does something that they're passionate about. The results are very different. So for me, it was seeing the things that I truly enjoy joy and gave me good results and then also listening to people as well about what I did well because sometimes you need that objective voice to hear what people say and how they see you. I listened as well too and I think with weaknesses in particular, you are very limited in your own ignorance of yourself. There is only so far that your self-realization can go. Your self-realization has a pinnacle, a peak to it. And beyond that, you can't see yourself. And that's why you need another pair of eyes to tell you. I might've said, well, yeah, I'm good at group work and somebody else might say, well, um, Shelly, I don't think so. So it was really listening to people and also asking people questions. What are the areas you think I can get better in? I knew that this was work- was not a world to be maneuvered alone.
1: That's right. That is so, so, so true. And and I think just from the standpoint of being able to listen and mm-hmm. listen intentionally
0: yes. with
1: the aim of one, I guess, accepting, I don't know if that's the right word, but accepting mm-hmm. what is being said as being valid. And obviously, we could see how do we filter that as opposed to somebody just talking out of their mouth yeah. because they can. Yeah. you know. So I think that's really important and able to help us continue to move forward. Yeah. So, Shellyan, tell um, us a little bit about what you're doing now, this yes. beautiful canvas that you have and the stuff right. that you've created now.
0: Yes. Well, since Leaving law. Once I had a blank campus, I decided to go into the field of research. I have recently completed my doctorate. I actually have my PhD examination coming up at the end of this month. Very excited about that because I came from a practitioner perspective and moving into academia, the academic world, was very foreign to me. I I experienced imposter syndrome the first year of my PhD. Like, what am I doing here with all these professors and researchers? And it was me having to remind myself that I earned this spot. I have earned this position and again, it was recreating my identity because for those of you who have experienced career transition or you are thinking about it, when you spend a large proportion of your life building a career, it becomes your identity. In Trinidad, I was known as Shelley the Prosecutor. I did that for four years. So leaving it was one of my darkest times because I just did not know who am I in this world. Who am I going to show up as? It really took a lot of intention from me to lean into my strengths and believe that I can create a new narrative for myself. I could do it. So having had that four-year experience of the PhD, it really allowed me to start to create some building blocks for myself and truly show up in my most authentic way. In that four-year period, I did a lot of soul switching, forgave some people, because there was a lot of forgiving that I had to do for some of the things I was dealing with at that time. I had to let go of the past, the dreams I had for myself of being in the profession of law. And I had to welcome in this new identity that I was creating for myself, which was a woman who truly desired to have something of her own. I wanted a business of my own and I wanted to teach people. I wanted to use that advisory communication strength that I had. And I made a decision by the second year in my PhD to Paused my PhD for six months to launch my career and education consultancy, Alpha Suit. And that is really God's work. I always say that that is God's work because I truly could not birth that <laughs> on my own, especially in the space that I was in. But I knew that something beautiful was going to be birthed out of this. New chapter of my life. I was convinced, and this is what I talk about, Dano, about allowing your your life to just unfold for you. And it's similar to like a flower seeing it blossom and not pulling away its petals, but just seeing it in this, you know, like a time lapse. It was almost like that, and not questioning life too much, but trusting that I would be taken care of. So I launched Alpha Suit in 2018. It's a one woman show, and we really focus on getting Caribbean nationals and minority into higher education, getting them to further their education and also helping professionals to seek promotion, career transition. And I was doing this from the space of me saying, hey, I was able to do it myself. I successfully did it. And I want to now empower people to do it because at the time of doing the PhD, I got multiple scholarship offers to do the PhD and I chose London. And so many people in me dropping this very noble profession and moving into something completely uncharted. That journey was inspiring for people. You know, I had a lot of messages. How did you do that, Cherry? You left Trinidad. You don't know anybody in the UK. (laughs) You don't have family in the UK. You don't have friends. You took your savings and decided to leave Trinidad and go to Scotland and now London. How? Where did that gravitas come from? And I really had to share with people that it's possible. But you gotta to surrender to life. That was where I was in my life. I truly surrendered to life because I knew that life had something in store for me. So, since launching Alpha Suits, I've worked with 5,000 plus individuals across the US, the UK, and the Caribbean. And it really is a testimony of what happens when. You no longer take your purpose in life lightly. In the beginning, I was taking it lightly because I was incubating in the system of law because you're working for a system and in a system, but truly you're at the bottom of the pole if you want to impact the system. And I knew that I was destined for something much, much bigger. And it came Mm -hmm. back to what my mom always used to say to me. (laughs) Now I think about my career and I truly feel just as how I felt when I was seven years old and my mom fixing my ribbon. I now feel like the world continues to be my oyster. Before I was trapped in the clam. (laughs) I was trapped in a clam and now I feel like I can finally breathe because life is now on my terms.
1: Got you. And that's a good segue because I was just about to ask you if you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing now.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I do feel like I was doing what I was doing when I was a lawyer as well. I was an excellent prosecutor and not to like brag or anything, but my seniors said this to me. I believe this. The people that I worked with said this to me. Judges said this to me. I was an excellent lawyer because I loved what I did. But I also knew when my time was up, what really removed me from the profession of law was the assassination of my mentor, Miss Dana Sita I worked very closely with Miss Sita I remember. She training me for trial advocacy in Hugh Law School. I prosecuted with her on cases as a prosecutor. And to see a woman that I truly look up to have her life snuffed away from her in such a violent manner and the way that the judicial system dealt with it as a young woman with big dreams, it signaled something very deep for me. Which was that if I want to make change, I can't make change from the bottom. I can't, you know? So I had to find a way to make change from the top. And when I left the profession, that was what I wanted to do. I had a story to tell, I had lives that I wanted to touch. So, how was I going to do that? Well, I needed to up my ante on my education, I needed to become an authoritative voice, I needed to find a way to reach to the grassroots. I needed to find a way to relate to people. And so I created my own brand. I created my own voice. I created my own platform. Now I'm very proud of the brand Shelly Angadger and also the brand Alpha Suit because I now I feel like I am indeed making the type of impact that I want to make. And I don't have to slave away in a system to change minds.
1: That's really powerful.
0: Thank you, Daniel.
1: So you already mentioned dealing with imposter syndrome. I'm interested in finding out how you navigate tough times. Definitely, I'm sure, have come your way to get you to where you are right now.
0: Yeah, I think the biggest obstacle that I experienced in my journey, particularly leaving the shores of Trinidad and and deciding to further my education and really building my my presence and my brand and stuff. I did this in a predominantly white country, right? In London. I was very naive when I came to do my PhD in London, because I was of the opinion that this is a metropolitan city. And of course, there would be people of color. They have a huge Caribbean diaspora. I was very naive about the possibility of racism. However... I did not experience racism or issues of diversity and inclusion in the city of London. I experienced it institutionally. That I wasn't ready for because I didn't experience that in Trinidad. So when I got into the institution, higher education, I remembered walking into the room and I was the only Black PhD candidate. I remembered walking through the halls and not seeing black people. It was an institution that was predominantly white. And then I realized that, you know, these kind of Ivy League slash Russell Group universities are really for the elite. And persons like myself don't really have a seat at the table. I did not know this then. And it just made me realize what was truly my positional influence and how lucky I was to hold a space um, and how lucky they were to also have me right? Because it's mutual benefit. Because sometimes we walk around thinking that we should be in gratitude for the opportunity, but no, they should also be in gratitude to have our presence, right? I remember the challenge for me was recognizing that my minority status was an opportunity. That my minority status wasn't an opportunity for me to victimize myself. It was an opportunity for me to spotlight myself, So my challenge, yeah, yeah. So my challenge wasn't walking around saying, oh, you know, nobody else, you know, looks like me and that sort of thing. My challenge was to start to advocate for more diversity and inclusion, to say that Black excellence needs to be seen, to say that we need to have more Black excellence in our senior leadership. Because I remembered all of the teachers, all of the lecturers were white. There was one Black lecturer that I saw And in the second week of me being there, he resigned. When I went into rooms, the committees were all white. And what does that say for me as a young, budging academic? I am doing a PhD to hopefully one day be a lecturer. And if I can't see another black lecturer, what does that say for me? So I had a lot of work to do. Sometimes we think that we should not be doing this work. You know, we say, well, the institution should do it for us. But how can the institution? talk about where our position should be when they are not of the same complexion as us they don't they don't have the same reality as us So I saw this as an opportunity for me to advocate and it came at the right time because around that time, we had the insertions of the Black Lives Matter movement. We had George Floyd march and we also had a widespread kind of social unrest that was happening in the UK, in the US and also in France. So it was a great opportunity for me to really start to talk about it. And I think that. That challenge is actually one of my greatest achievements
1: uh-huh. since being
0: here, because so much so the school actually implemented an initiative called the Open Doors Policy. And what they did is they erected pillars in the middle of each floor which showcased black people within their community and i was one of those people to be oh, wonderful! and it's a pillar that is immovable and that is the type of change that we need to see and i say this so that somebody who is working in an environment you feel like you are not seen you feel like you are not heard make your presence felt It was Mm -hmm. to the point where I will succeed so much that it will become so hard for you to ignore me. I will take up space in every spot so much that you can't ignore my presence anymore. You got to talk to me. That's the type of presence and taking up space that I did in, in that four-year period of the PhD.
1: In that situation, there must um, have been days or even if just a minute within yes. that day that probably you wanted to say something that you couldn't yeah, say, you Absolutely, know. So, yeah. How did that impact you?
0: That's a really good question because we always want to be politically correct in very unpolitical scenarios. When you think about it, it's a little bit of a juxtaposition and it's, it's a little ironic because people kind of come out of pocket and then we're supposed to be in pocket. So it's it's a little bit of an irony to me. But for me, I would say when it came to these challenges, I did not see it as an injustice against myself. I saw it as more of an indication of where we are at from a socially positional perspective. It's allowed me to understand the dynamics of race and not take it personally. Because you see, when things are systemic, when things are institutionalized, it is beyond the actor. It is beyond the perpetrator. The perpetrator is just following a culture that has existed and that has maintained a legacy. So I can't fault the inhabitant. So I did not take it personally. I really understood it as something that was deeply ingrained. And for me, non attachment in this life is the goal. We take a lot of things in life too personally. We attach, somebody says something about you and you know it might be negative. We hold on to that and all of a sudden we make it a part of us and we assign it and then you hold a grudge and that sort of thing. And for me, I want to be non attached. I want to be non-attached to the negativity and the positivity because I want to just experience. I want to be able to just kind of be a kind of third party and observe because truly our celebration and our criticism are all reflections of ourselves and each other. Hurt people hurt people. So if somebody says something negative to me, why should I take that? Personally, it is a reflection of where that person is at. And that's why I say non-attachment is the goal, not taking these things personally.
1: But it goes beyond just the physical things Mm -hmm. that we want to collect or use as a value system.
0: Yes. Yes. Even our achievements. Yes, I've done some amazing things, but I hold no attachment to these things truly. Because at the end of the day, when we perish, it's never those things that people remember remember you for. It's truly how you made somebody feel. How did that person feel when they engaged with you or when they experienced you? And that's why I say that I want to be experienced. I want people to experience me. And with creativity as well, I want people to experience my creativity. You know, you don't have to accept, you don't have to reject, you're free to wherever you land with it. But, you know, when you come across Shelly Adengajido, you will experience me. So that's how I see it. Yeah.
1: If you are enjoying this episode, please leave us a review at podchaser.com slash crayons the podcast. You can support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash crayons. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. And now, back to the show. I'm curious to know, transitioning into the UK, born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago, yes. did the culture of Trinidad and Tobago come alive in you in any way, shape yeah. or form?
0: Yeah, my biggest Trinbagonian pride, and the thing that I love to celebrate my Trinbagonian people for, and Caribbean people too, is our resilience. From history to now, we are such a resilient bunch of people that we are able to take and get back up. We are able to stumble and get back up. We are able to make something out of nothing. That is the thing that really pushed me throughout my four-year journey of my PhD, the resilience. I mean, I've seen people break down in the PhD journey. I've seen people start off hot and sweaty, and then the second year they're gone, you never see them again in the PhD room. I've seen people really crumble for things that Might be just a little bit of water off our backs, as we say it, you know? And for me, I think it was that level of resiliency and building tough skin that living in Trinidad and growing up in Trinidad really taught me. I came across as a very tough cookie. Yes, I'm petite and a good looking woman, but I was very firm and assertive in who I am and, and how I want to take up space over here. And that really came from the roots of being a Trinidadian and also growing up in Carinage. Well, there is a level of toughness that you need to have, especially when you're you're running in the streets with boys and you're trying to keep up with the boys and stuff. So there was that. And another thing that I would say, in terms of the Trimbegonian culture, is our warmness, our warm disposition. Because let me tell you, the UK is cold icy cold, right? So for me, I always used to get this commendation that Shelly, when you enter a room, it's just sunshine, you know? (laughs) And I love that because that is who we are. We are a warm bunch of people. We live in unity, regardless of what the politics and the newspapers say. Carnival is a true demonstration of how we are able to achieve unity and we do that every single year i think that we are a beautiful and exemplar representation of unity the ability to see light-heartedness in very tough situations as well but also have this creativity about you it comes from this place of making something out of nothing I think as kids, we we've been making something out of nothing from being in the yard and using a wheelbarrow to push yourself down the road or, you know, bathing by a standpipe with your buckets. And, uh, you know, all of these things are just our little ways of being creative and bathing in the rain. You know, when you tell people that you used to bathe in the rain, when I tell UK people that they're like, what? (laughs) 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 No, but that's a literal bath. We had our soap and and all of that is, you know, the the child's play inside of us. And I I feel that Trinbegonian people always have that about them. This very kind of lightheartedness, you know, young in spirit. It's something that I've always been commended for to this day. And it's something that I owe all of my honor to the Trinbagodian culture for.
1: Has rejection, Shellyann, ever affected your creative process or the way that, mm. that you go about doing what you do?
0: Oh, hell no. Hell, hell no. No, no, no. No to the no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I say that. I say that strongly because the way that I see rejection is that I could get rejected 10 times and that's just 10 affirmations for me that this is the wrong way to do it. That's how I see rejection. That's how I see failure. I see it as affirmation that those are not the right ways to do it, but there is a way to do it. So it's always getting you closer to where you want to be. All right, I got it wrong 10 times. Then the probability it now becomes slimmer for me to finally get the yes, you know, because every time you get rejected, you get closer and closer to a yes. The probability becomes smaller. We got to get comfortable with getting a no because you want to end up in the space that will say yes to you because the space that will say yes to you is the space where you will thrive. You see people who want to give you a kind of half, yes and a half, no? It's the worst people to work with, trust me. Um. (laughs) Because, you know, they (laughs) half-heartedly give you something. They half-heartedly give you an opportunity and then you're in it and you find you're working extra hard for it and you recognize that it didn't come from a full yes i prefer a full yes than a half yes so i would take my rejection um but i think rejection is a really healthy thing and for anybody that is an innovator you would know that it's like an experiment you keep testing and you keep testing until you finally crack the hypothesis and that's how i see it
1: i've heard it said that genius leaves clues yep and all those falters or all those failures, if you want mm-hmm. to say that, all those no's yes. are clues. If we take it and look at it as that, yes. it definitely will instruct us in a different way Yeah, and help us to achieve what we do want to achieve.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: How are you with your creative work? Is it something that you have to struggle through? Does it come easily? Tell me about that.
0: Right, that's a great question. I think creativity for me comes easily because I see creativity as life. I see life as creative. Life is truly creative. Just the observation of everything inside of your home, the observation of this mere existence, I find to be very creative and very awesome. Every single thing that we lay our our eyes on and our hands on, are things that started in the crevice of the mind. Everything that we see is a byproduct of a thought. So for me, I find that to be just extremely fascinating because I view creativity in this way. I don't see creativity as something I have to create. It exists. So therefore, I am an active participant in it either way, whether I create or not, I am a participant of it. When I am creating, it is just me exploring my ideas you know again that freedom to just explore myself explore my mind and just allow myself to wander to go you know I always say no dream and no thought is too big for me because the fact that my mind has even visualized it or conceived it is a indication that that I have the ability to manifest it I have the ability to create it right? It's just that my effort probably hasn't gotten to that space just yet, but the mind has, The mind has already, and it's the same way how they got man onto the moon. It started in the mind, and then effort was placed behind it, and they tried a couple of attempts to get man there, right? So the intensity of the effort is truly the engine behind it. But creativity is all in the mind. It's always there, all of the time. So for me, what really makes me tap into that space is the removal of the analytical mind, right? Because I am intellectually stimulated individual. I've always been very curious and I always kind of problem solve things. This is the legal mind as well. Very analytical, problems oriented, solutions-driven. And for me, it is quieting that analytical aspect of my mind because the mind can have some very Some very big ideas, but the analysis comes in, and that is what stops you from going to that next level of creativity. So, my quietness, quieting that aspect of my mind, the analytical mind, I usually color. Now, if I have listeners in here that have an interest in quieting the analytical mind, I strongly suggest go and get an adult coloring book. You might think I'm songing a little woo-woo wawa, or you know, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> but just trust me with it. I got an adult coloring book and Dano, I just started to color, allowing myself again, that kind of vulnerability with your mind, that freedom, that surrender. And slowly my analytical mind just gets very silent. And you're just in this space of colors and shades. movement. And you're in this kind of very easy state of peace. And I find that that is a great space for me to just mentally surrender. And it's in that space that I allow myself to really wander and go deeper into the creative thoughts and take notes as well while I'm going along. I think that the creative process And the analytical planning process are two separate phases. Do not intermingle them because that's where you will stifle your creativity.
1: And I think from the standpoint of just allowing yourself the freedom, a little backstory in terms of why we've decided that a big box of crayons is what we're going to be known as, is because that's your first, or at least mine, I'll put it on myself, interaction with creativity very
0: true for me too yes
1: just that one crayon whether it's a broken piece or, or whatever the case yeah. is and a blank piece of paper and the pink cow becomes <laughs> a flying octopus you know you know what i mean very and it's true. the same shape and same color yeah. all matter stories starts there so it's something that we are trained out of
0: exactly Exactly. And you know what, Dano? I'm glad that you mentioned that because I actually feel very childlike when I color. This is why I enjoy it. Because for you to be creative, there must be a level of play to it. You have to allow yourself that ability to free play. And I find that when I color, the movement of it takes me back to my childhood where I was able to scribble on the page, as you said, and create a pink octopus and all of this craziness, which was crazy to other people, but made so much sense to me. So I like that ability to go back into that space and tap into that aspect. When I was a child, and uninhibited because sometimes as an adult, the adult is a very dull individual. Let's be honest, right? Adulthood can be very dull and it is for us to always tap tap into our childlike nature to bring out that uninhibited side of you and allow yourself to truly play, create, and wander.
1: Tell me, Shalian, what one message would you want to leave with the world?
0: Yes. Two words. Go bravely. Go bravely. That is my soul mantra. It is my warrior anthem. It is the concept that I live by to go bravely. And what do I mean by going bravely? I mean, whatever it is that ignites your soul on fire, whatever it is that makes you feel full of life, whatever it is in this world that makes you light up, go bravely into that. And that's what I want to leave with this world because I did that without a support system, without friends, without a true idea of where I would land. But I just trusted this thing called life. I trusted that life takes care of life. When we look at nature, life takes care of life. Why do I think life would not take care of me? So I had to truly go bravely into the gifts that life gave to me. And that's why I talk about the three things that life gave me. You know, life didn't give me a whole plethora of things. It gave me three very specific things. And I honor that. I honor it. You know, and I want people to, whatever it is you're good at, it can be painting, singing, be doing here. It could be a mathematician. It can be the most mundane thing to the most highly sophisticated thing. Do it well and go bravely into it, lean into it, tap into it, you know, and unapologetically take up space. That is your gift. We tiptoe around our gifts because we are afraid of what would somebody say and what would another person say. And I say to you, it's not about what somebody else will say. What will your gift say to you when you reach 60 and you never used it? So my legacy is to go bravely.
1: What's the best piece of advice have you ever received?
0: (laughs) And again, it comes back to that saying of go bravely. Now, in terms of advice, I'll be very honest. When I recreated myself, recreated my identity, it was very experiential. I did not have mentorship and that sort of thing, but I truly leaned on God leaned on prayers and surrendered. And I remembered when I was praying about God guide me, where do you want me to go? Where should I go with this, with these talents and these gifts that you've given me? I was called in prayer. It was saying, you need to create this business, Alpha Students. And at that time I was like, God, I'm doing a PhD. You sure? Like, you sure I'm supposed to be building this now? Like, I'm not ready. Like, I'm not ready. And I remembered it so clearly. Go bravely. It just—it was just that. Go bravely. And that was the advice that was given to me. I said, "Thy will be done. And that was it. You don't have to ask me twice again. Because you see, I want people to know something about whatever it is, is the advice that you get that has really found profoundness inside of you. If you Resonate with that advice. The fact that it's the best advice that you've ever received. If you don't honor that advice, it can really pressure you. And I remembered when I got that word of go bravely and to launch my business, I was still diddly dallying a little bit. And I remembered that my nine to five was becoming so unbearable. You see, because the things when you ignore your purpose and when you ignore the signs that you're supposed to be doing something, it will then bring you to your needs. Hmm. It has a way of making you suffer until you acknowledge it. And for me, if I did not launch my business Alpha Suit, I would never feel fulfillment. I would never feel fulfillment in the things that I was pouring my life energy into, which really wasn't what I was supposed to be doing with my life. So, for all of the listeners who the best advice that you've gotten, ask yourself, Am I honoring that advice? Because if you're not honoring that advice, I'm almost certain that you're probably in a space where you're unfulfilled. And it comes from you not honoring that advice that was given. (sighs) Yeah. Yes. Indeed.
1: Yeah. I I don't know what to say after that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Neither me. All
1: right. Cool vibes. (laughs) <laughs> nice. I dig it. <laughs> I dig it. Yes. So tell us, Shellyan, where can yes. we find you online as we yes. wrap up and bring this to a close? I don't want to take away from from that gem i don't want yes, to take away
0: from absolutely, that so tell me. absolutely so you can find me by googling me if it is you're able to spell my last name shalia and <laughs> <laughs> if you do that there are a number of ways that you can connect with me um you'll see mm-hmm. linkedin coming up as one and you will also see my instagram you can also find me on my youtube channel bravely shali on there i will be sharing videos of my higher education journey i will be really empowering people on how to take up space in their careers as well as in their life. And I always say that if you are ready to lean into your life, lean into your calling, and no longer dance with uncertainty, then have a look at my business of students. We do some really phenomenal and impactful work. And if you are truly ready, I know that you will find me. I truly believe that my clients find me when they're ready. And You know, they come to me because they also have something to teach me. So those of you who are listening, I hope to come across you in the divine timing and in the right time.
1: Well, my dear, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you, I Truly appreciate and enjoy the conversation. Yes.
0: Good,
1: good, good. <laughs> right. Thank you so and much. Yes. I wish you nothing but the best and future success in your endeavors.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I receive that. And I send the same amount of love, support, and encouragement to your platform. Thank you for doing this for the Caribbean region and for the Caribbean diaspora. Black excellence needs to be seen. It exists. And we have a listenership that is Black Excellence. So go bravely, go do your thing, everyone, and thank you, Dano, for this space. My name is Sharyan Gadida. In a big box of crayons, I would be Sharon.
1: Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Find additional content on a bigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at a abigboxofcrayons. We Are Crayons, the podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, remember, we are all the same and the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful and thank you for listening.